We awake? We ready to go? Well, I am amped for today, I just have to tell you. Uh, this is a topic that I just love very dearly. Uh, but we're talking about money, talking about finances, uh, talking about giving, generosity, but uh, more importantly, we're talking about the heart. And uh, I just don't want you to miss that today. I want you, just as we think about the focus or the direction of where we're headed, um, we're gonna be talking a lot of money, but it's because money is so closely linked and related to the heart. So just hear that. But we're just gonna start with scripture first and we're just gonna stay grounded in that. First Timothy 6, starting with verse six, says this, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, we could take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money, not money, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Everybody said amen, amen. Well, the reason I'm stoked about this is kind of what I told you first is that um, I'm passionate about teaching on money and, and talking about generosity and how it's closely linked to the heart. Um, but I wanna acknowledge something first in the room, okay? Because we're in this series right now in Be Rich. Um, we're talking about generosity, talking about money. And if you're normal, which most of you are, I know some of you in the room, most of you are normal. If you're normal, it's normal to feel a little bit apprehensive or resistance or kind of like standoffish as soon as you start hearing somebody talk about money, right? Because you're anticipating what? You're asking a sort of ask. You're anticipating like, oh, you're gonna guilt me into feeling something. I'm gonna walk away feeling convicted. I just wanna speak to you right now. None of that's gonna happen, okay? None of it's gonna happen. Um, we're just gonna really dive in really talk about what does it mean to live a life following Jesus that's focused on generosity that comes from the generosity of God. That's, that's their focus today, okay? So you hear me on that? We good? Yeah. We're good, perfect. So here's how I wanna start. Um, that first passage that we just read, the first Timothy, here's, here's one of the verses that it just says. Um, verse nine, those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Um, I hate that verse. Do you know why I hate that verse? Because it's accurate, right? Because it messes with me, because it gets at the heart. Um, you don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you in this room, just as you think about it, you look back on your life when you were younger, maybe in college, maybe you hit you know, midlife, you know, in your, deep in your career, or maybe retirement, wherever you fall, how many of you has it crossed in your mind at some point, man, I'd love to be rich, right? Let me, you don't have to raise hands. Some of you are like already convicted, right? <laughs> just chill out, okay? But for some of us, I wanna throw this slide up here, okay? How many of us wish we were in early on one of these four things? Bitcoin, shipped, Uber, and Facebook. If we're being honest, let me tell you what these are and then you'll probably acknowledge that. Um, shipped, let's start with that. Who would have thought 10 years ago that we would develop a system that other people do your grocery shopping for you and deliver it to your door at a small cost? Never saw that one coming, right? 
and yet it's wildly successful. The company just sold itself for multi-million dollars. I mean, like, a ton, I don't even know how many it was. It was a lot. Let's go to the next one, Uber. Who would have thought years ago that the entire taxi and transportation industry would be flipped on its head and normal average people like you and me can take our personal vehicles and cart other people around and get paid for it and not only get paid for it, make a living off of it. Who would have thought? And yet here it is today, a multi-million dollar organization. Facebook, no explanation needed, right? We all agree. Bitcoin's a little bit different. Some of you maybe know what Bitcoin is, others maybe don't know what Bitcoin is, uh, but recently Bitcoin exploded. And if you haven't heard of Bitcoin, you might live under a rock, but I'm gonna explain it to you. Um, but what Bitcoin was is years and years ago, it was a, a different type of currency. It's called cryptocurrency that was developed and uh, it's not linked to anything, right? Like the US dollar is linked to gold, okay? So that, that's kind of how it measures, it stays stagnant. Um, this is not like that. Cryptocurrency isn't like that. And yet, a lot of people years ago started investing in it. They started buying, you know, I'll just put $100 in here. I'll put a couple hundred dollars there. And what happened to Bitcoin over the last six months is that Bitcoin's growth exploded. And it exploded to the point that people maybe five, 10 years, I don't think it was around 10 years ago, in that five to 10 year range, if you had bought Bitcoin and just held onto it, Bitcoin's trading price maybe eight years ago or seven years ago was around a dollar. Bitcoin's price three months ago was $18,000 a share. Not every day you can make 18,000 times your investment, right? So how many of you, as I say that, go, oh, I wish I would have gotten on on that, right? If we're being honest. But then we read scripture, right? We read this verse, 1 Timothy, that says this, those who wanna get rich fall into temptation and a trap and in many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Okay, so those intersect, right? They, they start contradicting each other. And so how do you wrestle with that? How do you remedy that? Well, the reason we're talking about this particular passage and we're gonna jump into another passage of scripture, which has jumped off the pages for me uh, just over the last couple of weeks, just as I've been studying this, we're gonna look at the life of a man named David, right? I'm a little partial to him. I like him a lot. But King David existed thousands of years ago and David was the second anointed king of Israel. The first anointed king uh, was a guy named Saul. Things didn't really go well for Saul. Saul was um, very domineering, very controlling, very aggressive. And, and eventually Saul's heart turned so arrogant and prideful that God went, you know, I, I, I'm kind of done with Saul. We need a new king. And the new king was David. And when David was anointed to be the next king, David was the youngest of his brothers. He was a shepherd of his flock. You know, a lot of scholars think he was like a redhead, right? So he's kind of like this, he's the redhead. He's out in the field, he's with the sheep, he sings a lot of songs, he's very emotional, he plays the harp, you know, David. And uh, God looked at him and said, that's the next king. That's him. And, and in fact, that guy, David, whom so many other people write off, he has a heart after my heart. What a compliment. So David, when David eventually takes the throne, David is unbelievable and unbelievably successful. Let me show you this map here. David's capital was Jerusalem. It's out in the Middle East, right? You've heard of it. So Jerusalem, but David's armies and David's kingdom within the first decade had conquered the Philistines, Amalekites, Edomites, Moabites, Ammonites, Damascus, and Aram. 
It was unbelievable, right? David had come in and everybody around knew who David was because his kingdom was so powerful and his kingdom never lost. And David was God's chosen leader. And so we're gonna be in the book of First Chronicles and Chronicles is this, Chronicles is the Chronicles of David. It's the story. It's the narrative of where we fall. And so Chronicles, 1 Chronicles 21, the place in the story where we're at is David has hit one of the pinnacles of his career right now as king, right? All the money and wealth that he could ever ask for, um, all of the, the power he could ask for, right? The reputation he could ask for. David had what other people around him could only dream of. David had it all. But something happened to David's heart, and that's why we're studying it today. First Chronicles 21 says this, Satan rose up against Israel and incited David to take a census of Israel. This is why this is important. David all of a sudden let his kingdom and his power become about him. And he, there's no other kingdom like him. There's nobody else that, that even compares or even comes close. And he does this. I wanna take a census of my people to know how good I am. I just, I wanna have a number associated. You see the heart change here? It went from this is God's people, this is God's army. I'm, I'm God's servant to I'm something. In fact, I'm a big something. And I wanna take a census. So David said to Joab and the commanders of the troops, go and count the Israelites from Beersheba to Dan, then report back to me so that I may know how many there are. But Joab replied, may the Lord multiply his troops a hundred times over. My Lord, the king, are they not all the king's subjects? He's saying, God, God, come on, they're all yours. They're all yours. Nobody compares, don't, don't do this. This is disgraceful. Why does my Lord want to do this? Why should he bring guilt on Israel? Verse four, the king's word, however, overruled Joab. So Joab left and went throughout Israel and then came back to Jerusalem. Joab reported the number of the fighting men to David. In all Israel, there were 1,100,000 men who could handle a sword, including 470,000 in Judah. But Joab did not include Levi and Benjamin in the numbering because the king's command was repulsive to him. The command was also evil in the sight of who? God. So he punished Israel. Let's see what happens, shall we? So the Lord sent a plague on Israel and 70,000 men of Israel fell dead. And God sent an angel to destroy Jerusalem. But as the angel was doing so, the Lord saw it and relented concerning the disaster and said to the angel who was destroying the people, enough, withdraw your hand. Do you know what happened right here in this little section? Is that when it said, and God punished Israel, God came to David, spoke to David and said this, I'm gonna make a deal with you. You've wronged me. Your arrogance and your pride was disgraceful to me. So I'm gonna give you three options for how I deal with you. Option number one, you and your kingdom will go through three years of famine. Your crops won't yield. Your people will starve for three years. 
there will be no relenting. That's option number one. Option number two, three months of your enemies overtaking you. And David, think about this, right? David's in his community. Throw that map back up there. Here's David in Jerusalem, powerful, strong, mighty Jerusalem. And the Ammonites, Moabites, Edomites, Amalekites, Philistines, Aram, and Damascus have all been conquered by him. They all have a beef with him. And imagine three months of open season on David. Or here's option number three. You can deal with me for three days, says God. And David says, okay, I'll deal with you. And when I hear him say that, right, like in the passage, maybe you're like, anybody else here punished a lot, like as a child? When I was punished, I remember like my mom or my dad coming, going, okay, here's your options. You're gonna be grounded for like 12 years. You're gonna lose TV. Or you just get to deal with me for the next five minutes. And I went, you are my last choice. (laughs) David is so different. So different because he's so closely connected to the heart of God. What he says is this, I know my God to be merciful and gracious. I'll take my chances with you because he knows his enemies won't relent and he knows the drought will wreak pain, not even just to David, but to his entire kingdom. But, but think about this here too. The Lord sent a plague on Israel and 70,000 men of Israel fell, fell dead. How many times do people in our life that are very important to us or dear to us or close to us pay the prices for our mistakes? And here's David, committed a sin before God Almighty in his arrogance and his pride said, it's about me. And God said, no, it's not. And 70,000 men lost their lives like that. So let's keep reading. But the angel was doing so. The Lord saw and relented concerning the disaster and said to the angel who was destroying the people, enough, withdraw your hand. The angel of the Lord was then standing at the threshing floor of Aranah, the Jebusite. So all of a sudden, Aranah is here, right? Here's a character we haven't met yet. Aranah is there. He, David looked up and he saw the angel of the Lord standing between heaven and earth with a John sorn in his hand extended over Jerusalem. Would that scare you or what? That terrify me. Then David and the elders clothed in sackcloth fell face down. David said to God, and hear the heart change of David who went from, hey, I'm just a servant of God to now it's all about me. And now how does he approach God? He says this, was it not I who ordered the fighting men to be counted? I, the shepherd, have sinned and done wrong. These are but sheep what have they done? Lord my God, let your hand fall on me and my family, but do not let this plague remain on your people. That's what we call a come to Jesus moment. Do you agree? But David comes before God and he says, they don't deserve to pay the price. They were doing what I told them to do. They were submitted to my authority and it's mine and I'm the one that should be punished. Then the angel of the Lord ordered Gad, one of the other guys, to tell David to go up and build an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Aranah the Jebusite. 
So David went up in obedience to the word that God had spoken in the name of the Lord. When Aaron was threshing wheat, he turned and saw the angel. His four sons who were with him hid themselves. Then David approached, and when Aaron looked up and saw him, he left the threshing floor and bowed down before David with his face to the ground. David said to him, let me have the sight of your threshing floor so I can build an altar to the Lord that the plague on the people may be stopped. Sell it to me at the full price. Aaron looked at David and said, take it. Let the Lord, let my Lord, the king, do whatever pleases him. Look, I will give the oxen for the burnt offerings, the threshing sledges for the wood, and the wheat for the grain offering. I will give all of this. He's saying, just, just take it. Trust me. Like, I, I, it's okay. You can have it. You can do everything you want. But David says to Aaron, and this is the most important thing that I want you to leave with today, is this. Aaron, he says this to Aaron, no, I insist on paying the full price. I will not take for the Lord what is yours or sacrifice a burnt offering that cost me nothing. He's saying, I will not go before God and offer a sacrifice for the sins in which I have committed that doesn't cost me anything. And as I think about my own life here for a second, and as I think about the things that I've done and the wrongs that I've done before God and the people that I've hurt and the way I've managed my own finances and anything else, as I think about this and the debt in which I owe God to put myself in David's shoes and to say, okay, I'll, I'll come before God and I just have an opportunity right now for a second that Aaron says, hey, you can have everything that's needed for the offering the one thought that just creeps way in the back of my mind, but I contemplate it for about a millisecond, is you're telling me I can get out of this for free. Do you hear that too? It was the jail free card that Aaron just pulled out and said, I'll, I'll give it all. I'll sacrifice, you take whatever you want. You make right with God, you, whatever, here. And it's at this point that the heart of David is being tested because how will he respond? Does he take it and go, okay, perfect. I'll make a sacrifice to God that was free. Didn't hurt, it didn't cost me anything, even when God had just relented. Or what does he say? I can't sacrifice an offering that cost me nothing. As I think about where we're at as a community, as a people group, as a society, if there's one idol that tends to surface up and control a lot of us, if not all of us, it's this thing called money. Because as we're getting an insight into David and David's character and his wrestling with God, I don't want you to miss the parallel between David and our lives. Because the thing about David is David, David was successful, David was powerful, David was important, but the thing that was off, and, and we read this in 1 Timothy too, was it wasn't money that was the issue. It wasn't power that was the issue. It wasn't reputation that was the issue. What was the issue? The issue was the love of power. The love of money. 
the love of reputation. And what does that speak to? That speaks to David's heart. Doesn't have anything to do with his bank account. Doesn't have anything to do with his military. It has everything to do with the heart in which he relates to God. And as I think about us today, what is one of the biggest idols in our culture? It's this. It's money. Anybody wish they sat in the front row right now? Everybody look under your seat. There's a free gift. Just kidding, don't do it. This thing that so controls us and dictates so much of what we do comes out of our love of this. What is this right here? This is independence. This is prestige. This is power. This is my ability to dictate my own future. And so you know what my dad did with me when I was younger? This was so fun. Um, We would do allowance. I loved allowance. You know, anybody else here like allowance? You still get allowance maybe? All right. So I loved allowance as a kid, but the thing about allowance is I never knew it when it was coming, okay? I loved getting it, but then I never knew when it was coming. So, you know, trade-off. And uh, oftentimes my dad would sit us down, there were four of us, and he'd sit down and go, yep, we just remembered that we haven't given you guys allowance for the last three months. So today's the day. It's like, great, awesome. So we'd sit down, we'd sit at the table, and we would start talking. And my dad, like, let's say it was $10. My dad would always, always, drove me nuts, but he always did it. Instead of just giving me a $10 bill, he'd give me 10 ones. He'd count them all out right in front of us. We all got the same. I didn't think that was fair, but we all got the same. And he would count it out and he would give us 10 ones. And then we had this pumpkin. I don't know why it was a pumpkin. It was orange. And the, the pumpkin, we would put it on the table and the pumpkin signified this money goes to God. It's not ours. We give it back. And so I'm sitting here, right? Like I'm seven and I'm getting paid out $10. This is basically a million dollar check, right? I can do whatever I want. $10, are you kidding me? I'll go crazy. $10, he's counting it out for me. And he says, okay, what do we do? First dollar bill, where's that go? What we had to do, every one of us, is take that dollar, we'd fold it up, we would insert it into the pumpkin. And it was no longer ours. So my $10 payday just turned into a $9 payday like that. And what did that communicate to me? What did I learn as I had to do this as a discipline every time I got money? Whose is it? It would be a reminder, and this is what my dad would say, this is a gift from God. You know, I was seven, I didn't do much to earn it but God gave it to us. God blessed it to us. He said, okay, this is yours. I want you to use this. And the first requirement was, I want you to give some of it back to me, not because a dollar is, let's be real. What does a dollar do? Today, not a lot. But what does it do to the heart of a seven-year-old? It makes sure that this doesn't own my heart. So first, right off the bat, okay, 10%, right? A dollar, that goes straight to God. They would make me take another dollar, put that towards savings. Yeah, that accrued real quick, right? You can imagine that. So savings, what am I left with? $8 to do whatever I want. But what happens when that seven-year-old turns into a 15-year-old? Income goes up, doesn't it? All of a sudden, your first, you know, I was a referee, my first refing job or, you know, cutting lawns or whatever business scheme that I could come up with to get neighbor's money, whatever it was, all of a sudden the pay starts going up. 
I just got a hundred bucks. Does it hurt more to give this one away? Of course, if you're human, this is 10 times the amount what I was used to giving up. And it stings. And yet, you know what? It reminds me again, whose money is this? This is God's money. God has entrusted this to me. But hold on, I earned it. I worked for it. I saved it. I, I did everything. I'm, I was the one that made the decisions. Oh, okay. Um, who gave you the ability to work? Because there's a lot of people in our world that actually aren't able to work. Oh, who gave you the brain to be able to think like that and to work in the job that you're in? Who gave you the opportunity to work in that job? Who promoted you? Who, who blessed you with your house or your car? Whatever? Who, who did all of that again? Oh yeah. And so right off the top, this is what's called a tithe. The Old Testament talked about a tithe. You, you just take 10% right off the top, but this gets harder and harder and harder as income goes up. Why? It's the same percentage. It's because it has a hold of our hearts. I was listening to a song this morning. I don't even know what song it was. It was a weird song. But in it, I just remember going, wait a minute. What is on the back of every currency that we have? If you have a wallet, pull out your wallet right now, okay? Pull it out, seriously, let's go. Group participation, pull it out. Look at a dollar, look at $10, $5. If you have a $100 bill, you can just pass that forward. That'd be great. <laughs> just pull out that dollar bill. And I want you to look on the back. Look on the back side of that. What does it say? In the middle, right towards the top underneath the United States of America. In who do we trust? How contradictory is that? Because you know what my approach to money is? You know what my approach to finances is? Right here. Pry it out of my death grip. This is my future. This is my ability to dictate what I want where I go, how I live, who I interact with, where my house is, what, where my car could take me, where I go on vacation. This has so much power and influence and it controls me. But here's the biggest thing, right? I can feel it in the room. Like you're getting uncomfortable. You're gonna ask me to do something. Just relax. Do you know what God wants more than anything? It's not 10%. Here's our hundred, right? Just for easy sake. God doesn't want 10%. What God wants is, any guesses? A hundred. But of what? I heard it. Say it again, Pat. Your heart. What God wants and what matters so much to him is that he owns 10% of your heart. And if that requires 10%, he typically says, you know, the tithe is called 10%, but oftentimes when tithe is used in scripture, it's tithes and offerings. So it's tithe, this is the minimum. This is what God says, just do this to make sure it doesn't get a hold of you, it doesn't grip your heart. Give me 10. But an offering is so much more. An offering is what we see in David as he comes before and he just experienced the grace and mercy and forgiveness of God when God had every right to destroy him and his kingdom and his reign. It could be to this point that you would have never heard David's name today had God not relented. And yet God so generously forgave David of his sins and of his wrongs. David responds not just with a tithe, but an offering. And it says God accepted 
his offering. What is it for you? What is God stirring up in your heart? What, what owns you? Um, let me tell you the story. Uh, when I was a kid, I was a senior in high school and um, I worked a horrible job. Anybody else work a horrible job in high school? Horrible job. Mine was I had to watch a 10 and a 12-year-old. The 12-year-old was a girl. The 10-year-old was a boy. And she loved to make him squawk. He loved to squawk. So the two demon children were my life for the whole summer. Okay, it wasn't fun. It was just painful. It was annoying. You know, my favorite activity was uh, quiet time for the next six hours. Okay, go to your rooms. Okay, I hated it. It was a hard job. And uh, I got paid nothing. No, I made $300 a week for 45 hours a week, plus driving my own car and gas and whatever. And this is why it was important to me. Uh, I had bills coming up that I was going to school, right? I was a senior in high school, so I was going to be a freshman. And I knew I was going to Grand Valley and I was looking at the tuition statement for what I needed to pay. And it was a lot, it was more money than I've ever made in my life. And I had applied for like 100, over $100,000 of scholarships. A bunch came in, but it was like, it was enough that I was gonna come out after working this job, so 45 hours a week, plus another 15 to 20 hour a week job, after I just killed myself working 70 to 80 hour weeks. For the entire summer, I would have been $6,500 short for what I owed, right? But it owned me. It was to the point, this was funny, I went up to the parents one day uh, this was after like three weeks. And I was like, these kids are horrible. Um, can I get a pay raise? Because I know he said $300, but I'm spending more than $10 in gas and, you know, et cetera. And he goes, oh, okay. How about this? We'll just add 10 bucks to your paycheck. I was like, whoa, what am I gonna do with all that? Glad I asked. You know, so I'm killing myself, making like dirt money, working extra jobs. I know I'm gonna come up short. And I start reading this book called Crazy Love. This is written by a pastor named Francis Chan and he talks about the love of God, but he also talks about this thing that so often controls our hearts and that's money. And so the challenge he starts giving in this book as I'm reading is this, um, what owns your heart and how do, you, how do you release it? How do you release control? How do you, how do you make sure that it doesn't own your heart? And so for me, it's money, right? I'm just gonna keep walking around like this, right? I feel like Dave Ramsey a little bit. And uh, the thing that owned my heart so much was, was money and cash and cash flow and ability to earn and because I had bills coming up and all of that stuff. And this is what Francis said in the book. He said, the best way to release the stronghold of something in your life and something on your heart is not to hold tighter. It's not to give lightly. It's to give largely. As David would say, it's to give an offering that doesn't cost him nothing, that cost him a lot. So I start praying going, okay, God, how do I get rid of this idol that controls me, that controls my heart? What do I do? How do I release that? And I was going on a mission trip and uh, I had talked to my youth pastor and my youth pastor earlier had said, um, we're a couple thousand dollars short for this mission trip. Um, we're getting there, we're, we're working it up, but you know, et cetera. So I'm praying through this for weeks and um, just to the point where I'm, I'm really feeling convicted, like, okay, I feel like God wants me to write a check. I don't know how much this check is gonna be, but I have a, an idea it's gonna be like a week's salary. And just think about this for a second, okay? 10 weeks in the summer, I'm already giving my tithe, already giving my 10%. And I feel like God's stirring it in me going, it still owns you though. How do you give more of that? 
So I'm praying through it. I got this weird, like, ah, it might be a week's salary or something like that. So I sit down with the youth pastor. I look at him and I say, okay, here's the thing. I'm going through this thing with God right now and I'm trying to release my heart of the control of money that so manipulates everything I do. And I feel like he's put a number on my heart and I just wanna to contribute to this mission trip because it's a cause that matters to me. And I'm excited to go. I was already paid for guys. I was good to go, but I just felt like God was stirring this in my heart to give. And so he's like, David, this is really uncomfortable for me. And I'm like, I don't really care, okay? This is between me and God, not me and you. And I said, what do we still need to make the trip happen? And straight up, if he would have looked at me and said, $1,000, I would have whipped out my checkbook, I would have wrote him a thousand dollar check and I would have given it to him and I would have ran before my mind could talk me out of it. I was so convinced because it was so controlling every part of me. I wanted off. And he looked at me and he's like, you're not gonna believe this, but we had a bunch of donors come through last minute and we have one need left. And it's to do this dinner for all of the donors to thank them and to talk about the effect that they're having, their giving is having on the global church. And I started getting goosebumps, like, no way. I was like, how much do you need? And he's like, 300? I'm like, whew, I get to keep the extra 10. <laughs> Whipped out that checkbook, wrote him a check for 300 bucks, dropped it, walked away. I went, thank you, God. It doesn't own me. It doesn't control me. I can give in a way that I go, God, I, you'll provide, you'll take care of it. That's, I still have clothes, still eat, still sleep indoors. I'll be fine. Three weeks later, I'm in Mexico. Phone's going off like crazy. My youth pastor, same guy comes up, he hands me the phone, he says, your dad told me to tell you to call this number. I was like, that is super obscure. Okay, you know, dial it in. Hello? I was like, yeah, I was just told to call this number, right? Just like a 19-year-old would say, right? I was just told to call. I'm just doing what I was supposed to. He goes, are you David Dorner? I said, yep, I'm getting weird. He said, my name is so-and-so. I'm the leader of this scholarship fund, and we exist to help students who help others in need, even though they have need themselves. Isn't that the most Christian scholarship you've ever heard of? I go, okay. So I just want to let you know that we've selected you as our winner for Michigan. And we're writing you a check for $6,500 to the school of your choice. Do you know what happened in my heart at that moment? I just wanted to cry. I'm not a crier. I feel it now. It's God whispering going, I got you. Got you. It's not that I want to withhold from you. It's not that I want to take from you. $300 doesn't do all that much. Personally, organizationally, globally, it doesn't, it's not about the money. It's about the heart. God says, I want your heart and I don't want 10% of it. And whatever you gotta do to give that up, to give that to me, that's what your challenge is. I want you to give that up. Is it power? Is it control? Is it money? Is it love? Is it acceptance? I don't know what it is. What are you holding onto so tightly that you go, God, you can have anything you want except 
this. For me, my answer was money. You can have anything but this. He went, convenient. That's what I want. Because it releases your heart. What's God stirring up in you? I mean, for real. This thing that you just hold on to, right? Maybe it's money, maybe it's not. But you just hold on to and you go, there's no way I can let this go because this is my future. This is control. This is power. This is significance, whatever it is. God is saying, trust me, I got you. It's not like you can take it when you die anyway. Let's really focus in this in-between, between birth and death and go, how do you take what he's entrusted to you to make a difference in the community and in the world for eternity? That's why we're created. That's why this exists. He just gives us the opportunity to be a part of it. So here's my question. What's your scholarship story? Because again, it's not like, oh, give a little, get a lot in return. Mm -mm. But what's your scholarship story? What's the cause in your heart that God's stirring you to go, this is what I want you to give to? This is what I want you to invest in eternally. This is what I want for you to give and sacrifice for to make a difference in the lives of people for the rest of eternity, to draw them closer to me. This is why we exist as a church. I just wanna close with this. This is First uh, Timothy again. And it says this, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant and not to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. But to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to your care. Turn away from godless chatter and the opposing ideas of what is falsely called knowledge, which some have professed and in so doing have departed from the faith. Grace be with you all. God, we come before you today acknowledging that money so easily controls and manipulates our lives. And God, you're a generous God. You're a loving God and a merciful God and a forgiving God. God, you give us everything. Every breath we take, every dollar we make, God, everything comes from you. And I pray right now that we as a body and we as a church can lean into your heart and understand your generosity, not just for the world, but for us. That you would look at us in our sin and in our shame and in our filth, and you would say, that is the most valuable thing in the world to me. I pray that we would acknowledge that we are loved by you, and we are recipients of your generosity. God, use us to be vessels of your generosity to the world who doesn't yet know you. Help us sow into the world. Help us to raise up a crop of disciples 
people in our communities, people in our homes, people in our workplaces or schools. Use us in a way that makes a difference in people's lives forever. Whatever it is that's holding us back, whatever it is that's controlling us, we pray that we would release that to you right now, that you would graciously take it from us and that you would remind us that you are in control, that you love us, that you will use us. In Jesus' name we pray.